Hey guys, it's Tony. I'm here to talk to you about Awaken Conference. Now, Awaken is a young adult gathering in Charlotte, North Carolina from January 31st to February 2nd, 2020. And it's meant to help you recharge your spiritual life and connect with a community that you can grow your faith alongside. Now, this year's presenters include a killer lineup with Caleb Isley of Humans of Adventism and, of course, a friend of the podcast. He's been on a few episodes. Kim Cove, a licensed counselor, and Randy Ban, the creative producer at Nike World Headquarters. The keynotes will be brought by Ben Lundquist of the Rise and Lead podcast, uh, a good friend of mine and an amazing speaker. Trust me, guys, you will not want to miss out. And Absurdity will be there. So me and Becker, uh, you get, get to see us if you come out. Uh, would love to come and talk to you. We absolutely think that this is something you're going to want to come and see. Speaking of, if you enter the code Absurdity at awakennc.com, that's Absurdity, A-B-S-U-R-D-I-T-Y, at awakennc.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. We'd love to see you there. This is absolutely something that we support, and we think that Awaken is a part of the growing church movement that we want to see moving forward. Once again, if you enter code absurdity at awakennc.com, you'll get a 10% discount off the initial price. Love to see you guys there. Welcome to Absurdity with Ryan Becker. Hey guys, welcome back to Absurdity. Tony, how are you doing? I am good, man. I, I gotta be honest, summer is finally on its way, and I went outside yesterday almost all day. It was amazing. Um, went and had lunch with a friend, went and just talked, just literally hung out at the beach, mostly because I did not want to go back inside, and I burned to a crisp. It's great. You know, I, I love it. I get that Andrews is like 20 minutes away from Lake Michigan and like... There's technically a beach there, but to hear you living in Michigan say, "Yeah, I just went to the beach." That's just such a like a no. It, you are right. That's just it, such a it, weird actually, thing. It took me a while to wrap my head around that fact. I still don't consider it as good. I grew up next to an ocean, so I know people who lived near. Like my friend, she's she's from Minnesota, so she's all about lakes. So she's like, "Well, lakes are just as she was arguing," it, and I'm like, "No, no, no, no." Nope. Like, I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not going to compare those two, but the beach is still the same. It's still the, you know, you don't get the the nice smell of seawater, but it's like, hey, you still got the sand and the sun and it's warm and your feet are warm. It's It was great. It was, it was like amazing. I loved it. Oh, yeah. I've, Water was freezing, but. Well, that sounds about I'm right. i used to that. That's Michigan. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I, so this week I had a huge, you saw this on Twitter, um, where I go to, to commiserate and hopefully find community of people who suffer through the same things I do. Because I found and, out, and shout into the void, and, and hope yes, the void shouts back. Exactly, um, I found out the most life changing information that I'm finding out. I was ashamed of it at first, and then I found out that pretty much everyone else doesn't know about this either. Everyone I've talked to, with the exception of the GIF that you sent me, and it is pronounced GIF. I don't care what anyone says. Um, they yeah, that no one knows about gigabytes. This. Yeah, gigabytes and giraffes. Mm-hmm. Um, which is this? Apparently, I have been putting on antiperspirant wrong and incorrectly my entire life that's that is what i discovered this week so for the last for the last couple of years i've been wondering like i've been trying several different antiperspirants i've been trying to figure out like why the heck do i keep sweating through my shirts when i've tried even clinical strength antiperspirant and nothing's working and so finally i googled i had googled antiperspirants good antiperspirants but i'd never googled why i sweat through 
my antiperspirant. So I Googled that, and I came across like a slew of articles that says, oh, you've been doing it wrong your entire life. So it turns out, the way antiperspirant works, like I'm going to give like the super like kindergarten version of, explain it like I'm five version of this. Um, Please do. It basically, that way I can hang. It basically chalks up your pores, right? Like it, it goes in and, and, and clogs your pores and, and absorbs the sweat that would, that would have come out. Well, it, in order for it to get into your skin to do that, it takes time. It takes a lot of time. So if you put it on right when you're getting ready for the day and then you walk out the door, 99% of people will sweat that off before it has a chance to set, which is kind of ironic that you would sweat off antiperspirant. And that's what was happening to me, which is why now I have a bunch of shirts that have like white stains on like white pit stains because of antiperspirant. Um, So it turns out you're supposed to apply it the night before so that while you're sleeping, it has time to set. And then the next day, you'll be fine. You'll be good to go. Even if you shower in the morning, it still won't wash out unless you're like intentionally scrumming it off because that's its job is to not let water through, is to not. So um, I tried it from Tuesday night to now we're recording this on a Friday morning. It's like a whole new world. I like I can't explain to you. I really want to sing, but like, for copyright reasons, I know. We have it's to just, just it's, everyone imagine the song that I'm singing in my it's head. Just, uh, they already are. Don't worry. Like it's just a completely like I'm just like why did I not know this? So I shout on Twitter. I'm like, so am I the only one who didn't know this? I, I just want to imagine that you walked out your door in my head. I get this mental picture of you just walking out the door and like everything's bright and like this happy like oh yeah 1950s bouncy like wake me up before and like you're just <laughs> bouncing along smiling at your neighbors. Oh no, I'm not smiling. I'm, I'm just like running up to them, going, "Smell it! Look at it! <laughs> Look at it!" And I like rub my armpit all up in their face. I'm like, "There's no sweat there. It's amazing." Uh, that's, that's what I do. That's how excited I am about this. Just do the whole SpongeBob screaming in their face. Yes! <laughs> so the next step I have to do I is figure out how to, how to wash out antiperspirant stains from t-shirts from yeah. the, from the old ones that I've ruined. Tide has a, I found Tide yeah. really works well. I have that. And it doesn't, it doesn't take out the, this is not a pitch for any company, but, um, but yeah. this is a tight ad. Yeah, tight is it is a tight <laughs> ad. Um, I felt that that they won the Super Bowl. Oh, absolutely, last hands year. down, they won it. Away. Like everyone's like, oh, Doritos never. Th-. No, 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 they were good. Tied won. Tide was legendary. Tide. That's something you're. That's an ad campaign you were won. never going to forget. Not not even that. Like that's the one. Like I remember way back in the day, you had the three frogs or Budweiser, like different stuff like yeah. that. Like this is one that my kids. I'm going to be like, let me tell you kids about the time Tide came with. <laughs> David Harbour, Stranger Things. Yes. Y'all don't know about this. Like, that's that's how I'm going to... Apparently, I'm an old old guy already, because that's how I talk. But, no, I felt the same way you did after, work, like, uh, Black Panther. Like, I wanted to scream in people's face, like, Wakanda forever! Don't you get this? This is awesome! <laughs> like, it's a game changer! Like, I, it yeah. was amazing. So, I, I totally get that feeling. I So, this is just a PSA for all... For everyone out there, because this is for both genders, like... Um, if you, um, I feel like women already know that though. Yeah, but I no because I was talking to a woman yesterday who didn't know it. So I mean, maybe they do, and maybe this was the minority. But either way, yeah, yeah that's this true. is yeah. so try it. And PSA. if you have, you know. if you have access to a hair dryer or a blow dryer in your house, the other trick is to do it when you when you come out of the shower. If you come out of the shower in the morning and forgot to apply it the night before, you use the cool setting. You dry your armpits so they're not damp from the shower. You apply it, and then you blow dry your armpits on the cool setting again. Um, and let it and like it accelerates the process. So, um, go try it and have your life changed and write in and let me know just how changed your life has been. What I have found 
Now, granted, I read the instructions on the deodorant before I put it on, so this is why I knew it. It wasn't like I grew up. My de- no, this. my antiperspirant doesn't. I I checked. It doesn't even. It so just says it? apply to oh. underarms. Oh yeah. So, so I, yeah, you want to call me out on that? There's there's nothing there. I feel I feel a little bit bad on that, but no, like I I read the instructions for the clinical because I have the same problem. I sweat a crazy amount. Um, and yeah, so I I was like, I'm going to check the clinical, and they were like, Yeah, you just got to do it the night before. And so I was like, Cool. My problem is um, I had an allergic reaction to that, mm. so I couldn't use that type of clinical. And I was I found that just using it, I did have to remove the hair from underneath my arms. Um, so it it sounds like I plucked it. I shaved. I shaved. I shaved my armpits, and that was ended up. I, it's just as effective, I found, if I do that and just do it the night before. So the clinical is like, okay, but it's pretty much six of one, half dozen of the other. Yeah, you talk about if hair removal. Um, yeah. I found out. I was looking. Hair. I, I, yeah, okay. So I decided to find out how my na- how to say my name backwards so that if you were to like reverse me saying my name backwards, it would say Ryan. Uh, tur- turns out, uh-huh. turns out Nair. Is how you say Ryan backwards. Oh, oh, I thought you meant Becker. I was like, no, no, Rakeb? Rakeb? No, no, Ryan uh, saying it backwards is actually just Nair. If you say Nair, you're saying Ryan, basically. It's really weird. Um, Nair Rakeb. And I was like, great, my name backwards is hair removal. So that's fantastic because I make people want to pull their hair out. Yay. That's scarily accurate. <laughs> I feel like we should kind of start now. <laughs> yeah. No. All right. So I wanted to just talk about that because I believe it's important for every man to know and have their life changed because I wasted so People. much money on antiperspirant and T-shirts for this reason. So, all right, let's jump in. We're talking about um, the a common refrain that we've been hearing for the last couple of years in the media. Um, and, and here's what happens. Uh, typically, some incident happens. More often than not, it's a racist incident that happens within an organization or like on a school campus, something like that, right? And then it gets put on Twitter and then all of Twitter freaks out about it and then calling for boycotts or, or, or calling the calling the organization to accountability. That's actually like as much as the Twitter army can sometimes annoy me, um, I think the fact that we can immediately call people to accountability from the ground level as just citizens is really cool. Um, it doesn't yeah, always yeah. work, but um, I th- and it's not always good. Like yeah, like we, when we did our episode about um, uh, you know porn stars are people too. You know, you talk about how some well-meaning but un you know uninformed uh, uh, social justice warriors kind of you know they force somebody to to not force somebody, but they they led somebody down the place to where they ended up committing suicide. So I mean, there's a there's a two-edged Absolutely. sword to that Absolutely. for sure. But we can access a grassroots system like yeah. never before. Like you had to do a lot of work to get a rally, you know what I mean, or a protest or something like that. Like it, it was major. It was a job. Like people, that was their job was activists. Now I'm like, pretty much everyone can do that as long as you have internet and you know an account, an email. Yeah, that's true. So we we talk about these these issues today. We talk about these some of these moments because there's a question that I have. Um, it's a question that's come up every single time an organization has said this. But here's what happens: so the racist incident happens, Twitter or Facebook or whatever, like the media lashes out against the organization. The organization issues a response that says something to the effect of, "Well, this is not who we are," 
or this is not what defines us as an organization. Um, that it's typically something like that. They don't always use those words. Um, I think um, I have the the Starbucks response. So so you know uh, a couple months ago. Now we're and this episode's releasing in May. So a couple months ago, there was two black guys that were arrested in a Starbucks for under loitering. Basically, they went in, they were waiting for their friend, they didn't buy anything, and the I think the manager at one point had asked them to leave, and they said they were just waiting for their friend. So she went in the back and called the cops, and, or he. I don't know if I don't know what I forget what who the manager was, but um, called the cops, and the cops came and and arrested the the two ended up being arrested. Um, so within hours, Twitter was calling for a boycott, which I thought was a little fast because, see, like Starbucks corporate didn't even have the chance to, like they didn't even know about this yet and people were already boycotting them. It'd be one thing if Starbucks like hadn't said anything for like a week or two and it was obvious that they knew about it, but it's yeah. another thing to do it within like hours of it going viral, right? So, um, but, but Starbucks CEO issues this response and he says, the video shot by customers is very hard to watch. And and here's the part: the actions in it are not representative of our Starbucks mission and values. So uh, he there, obviously there's a lot more, but that's 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 the one point I want to focus on here. The actions in it are not representative of our Starbucks mission and values. Uh, that is another way of saying this is not who we are. Or this is not who we're we're, we're trying to be. So. Um, we saw another one at uh, Southern, which if you go back and listen to episodes 20 and 21 of this podcast, um, you'll find that I interviewed two different Southern students, the essay president at the time, and then another Southern student who reacted to a uh, racist incident that happened, an aggression that happened at Southern Adventist University on in the early February at their Black Christian Union night, where as students were walking in for this awesome celebration of, of different Black cultures... Um, they were walking into the the Southern Gymnasium carrying flags from different nations. Um, they someone was sitting in the front. They had created a Snapchat that was called Southern Stories, even though um, it wasn't actually affiliated with the university. And then had taken a video and at the bottom put Happy N Word Day. And obviously, people at Southern, students at Southern, um, faculty at Southern, and staff at Southern had said, "This is not who we are." Um, and so I want to dive into that because my question is, is, is what actually defines our, our, our identity as an organization, right? This is, this is an answer I have to answer. This is a question I have to answer on the, the church level. What yeah. defines my identity as an organization? Um, and when is saying this is not who we are, not good enough, right? Like, like when, when, when is it, when is it like, I can say that all I want, but at some point my actions will betray my words, so what? Um, so I want to hear, I guess, Tony, your thoughts on either the Starbucks incident or the Southern stuff, or just any kind of. Those are the two ones that are most recent that come to mind. But and this has been happening for the last several years. Um, Gosh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I mean, really, really, since the '60s, yeah. Um, basically, since segregation was like this is a bad thing, you'll have super racisty incidents and then they'll be like well this is not a you know the rodney king i mean you had the lapd saying well this is not a you know this is not how we do things and and everyone's like no that's exactly how you've done things for for 70 years um so you know and that was uh, that's obviously the most blatant and you, you mm -hmm. know you have the, all the politics of the the uh oj trial 
behind that. But you you get that all the time. And now, of course, with the advent of, you know, uh, political correctness, which to me, I just call being nice. Like, I, I hate that people are like, well, you have to be politically correct. I'm like, no, it's it's called not being a jerk. That's that's what that's about, because you like. The, the, the problem with political correctness, the problem is when, when you put a title on it like that, is that it it goes from it, it becomes like a, a government thing instead of no, this is basic humi- humanity. Like this is how you should yeah, treat regard other, people like, treat, for how the, who they treat are. Treat other yeah. people nicely. Um, not like, well, you can't say that because then you can get sued. It's like, no, 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 no. We're trying to change the verbiage so that you and your, you know, dumb brain can understand you're you're supposed to be nice to people. Problem is, you're never going to get people <laughs> to actually be nice to other people. Um, that's just it's. Turns out being human is both yeah. the best and worst part of being human. Yeah, it's that humans. I, I've said this before. I put in, you know, one of my most like tweets before. I was like, humans are the best part of life. Humans are also the worst part of life. This is why life is so difficult. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely see that. I think that you get that a lot. Um, I mean, my gosh, you know, on a, on a flip side, on a not racisty side, you get this in Adventist churches all the time, where a well-meaning uh, uh, leader of the church, or even just a member of the church. Um, you know, will go to somebody and say, you need to stop dressing like a whore. Um, or you need a, wow, I can't believe you're wearing that much makeup. Or how dare you eat on the Sabbath? Or, I mean, I had one guy that he's a pastor. He was going through a lot. It was a summer day in Alaska. It was very warm. Um, he wore shorts because it, it was just a hot day. Um, they were nice. He looked well put together. Um, and apparently somebody came up and goes, you're a pastor, aren't you? He's not an active pastor, by the way. He's a student and he's not working for that conference. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, oh, you should read Ellen White about how you dress. And, and uh. yeah, <laughs> but for years you've had this happen and the church will say, well, oh, that's not us. You know, that's just not how we are. And I go, no, 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 you allow that to happen. This is you. This is your identity. This is who you are. Like, oh no, we're a friendly church. No, you're not. You're hospitable. There's Actually, I just I literally just preached this to one of my to one of my churches a couple weeks ago. I was like, every yeah. single church thinks they're a welcoming church, um, unless they've decided like out, outright not to be right. But for the most part, every single person wants to think of themselves as friendly and approachable, and every church wants to think of themselves as welcoming. And um, I, I I think um, Andy Stanley puts it the best I've ever heard. I love Andy Stanley. I he recently did something that I'm not a big fan of, but outside of that. Most of the time, I'm a big fan of what he says. And one of the, one of the quotes he, he said was, um, time in erodes awareness of. Um, basically, the longer you're in a place, yeah. the less aware you become of the flaws, um, the flaws that you would have noticed as soon as you walk in the door. It's kind of like getting used to the smell in your car or you know, uh, getting used to the smell in your home. Yeah. It doesn't, it's not until someone else walks in and points it out to you that you realize, oh, there's something wrong. Yeah, um, no. that kind of thing. So I, I it's it, within churches, I see that a lot. It's um, yeah. they think they're welcoming. They've been there all their lives or they've been there for a decade or five years or whatever. And they are now blind to the faults um, that have been plaguing their church for um, its entire existence. Um, so I'm, I'm right there with you on that. It, it's, it's part of that. And then the other part of the thing is that you being friendly is is not something that happens by accident. I've said this before on many different levels. I'm probably going to say it again. Um, 
making something organic, it, it takes an incredible amount of preparation and effort to make something look organic and um, like uh, uh, easy. You know yeah, what I mean? You like have to create organic. Yeah, it's very, yeah, it's very like strange. It, it's, you have to be very intentional to make something look like it just kind of happened. Um, it, it's, it's, there's a, you know, and, and people don't understand that. So they're just like, oh, we're a friendly church. And I'm like, no, you're not because you say things that don't make sense. You, you don't have assigned seating. You don't have ushers. You don't have these things. Um, one of the things, and, and there was a, there was a, <clears throat> a huge poll done. The number two thing that keeps people from coming back to a church after visiting is getting up and having people greet you being singled out as a visitor or having to greet other people. That's mm-hmm. the number two thing. And I have been to so many friendly churches that do that. And the thing is that it, it, it's this lack of awareness. Most people don't know. I mean, that's the thing is that you think about, Oh, but they've never actually asked a visitor yeah, they don't. or they, gone they over don't. and been like, Hey, I, we saw you came one time. Why didn't you come back? And they were like, well, I, you made me feel like a vet. Like, you know, those yeah. are the types of things. Are we actually asking and saying, it, or do we just feel like, oh, this is me? And I think this is the big thing when we come to this is not us, is not only the you're no longer aware of it, so the lack of awareness, but also the inability to listen. I think that's yeah. such a huge factor, especially when we're talking about issues of racism or prejudice or um you know, church trying to become friendly, stuff like that. Um, you know, I'm white passing. Um, I know you are too, Becker. And so in my head, I look Hispanic. Like in my head, I look like Luis Fonsi or, uh, you know, I'm, my mom's Puerto Rican. So in my head, I look Puerto Rican. I know that I'm not. Mm. I know that I'm not. I look very white. And so I have been granted white privilege. And that is a real thing. Whether or not you want to debate me about that, I can guarantee you it is because of the incident in Starbucks. Because I have spent time in Starbucks without buying anything. And I guarantee you, nobody would ever have said anything to me um, because that's just how it works. And, and mm-hmm. that's the point. All that is to say, I need to listen. I recently took a class in youth and young adult culture, and it was incredible here. Um, I was one of three white males, and one of them was uh, the professor was teaching the class. And so what was fascinating was I encouraged myself to sit back and listen and be like, let me hear the different perspectives from the women, from the people of color, um, from the elder, you know, elderly here. Like, let me sit back and listen. What was crazy is that's exactly what they wanted. Like that was what I was encouraged to do by the class because I have spent 400 years and more really, if you think about, you know, the, the, the dominance, um, of the patriarchy, but I've, you know, my people in this, in this country have spent 400 years telling other people how to think, telling other people how to feel, um, Mm -hmm. justifying what's wrong and what's right. And in order to break that, I have to sit back and just listen. That's how, that's what I can do best. And so instead of saying, well, this isn't me instead, just taking, sitting back and saying, okay, how do you perceive me? Mm-hmm. Not about how I perceive me, because I can say all I want. This isn't me. This isn't me. But to quote the dark, uh, to quote Batman Begins, it's not who I am on the inside that counts, but what I do that defines me. And 
that is such a huge, valid part of anyone's identity, especially as a church or as an organization or as a a race, is to sit back and go, is this really who I am? And especially as someone who is white passing. Because when I say my people, I, my people are Puerto Rican, Italian. I'm, I'm a product of immigration. Like I'm a third, uh, second generation. You know, my, my dad immigrated from Canada. Um, his parents were immigrants from Argentina and Italy. My mom, you know, is Puerto Rican. So I'm, I, you know, I'm assimilation done right, but I'm also the product of immigration. So when I say my people, I mean, like, look, I look like the people who have done this, regardless of whether I've come from that or not. This is yeah. who I am associated with because I can go into those circles and get a nudge, nudge, wink, wink. I, I grew up scared of police officers because all of my friends who were people of color were afraid of them, not realizing when I moved to a predominantly white area in Arizona, like the, the cops were fine. Like they would talk to me. If they pulled you over, they were like, oh, one of your headlights are out. But they would sit and be like, oh, are you playing softball? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, I just came out of a game. Like it was so nice and friendly. Like I all of a sudden I'm like, oh, I guess I don't have to be afraid because I realized, oh, they think I'm one of them. Like yeah. I actually look like this. And so, and this is not a bash on cops or anything like that, but, but to understand this is how I have been thinking my whole life. And I have to realize and stop and ask myself, is this who I am? Is yep. this who I am? Because I want to make sure that the people who are oppressed, the people who, who are, you know, have been uh, beaten down or, or have to deal with this. What do you feel? What do you think? How is this coming across? And so while... I, you know, and I think this is the issue with the Starbucks to, to kind of bring it back to that. I don't know how often this has happened in Starbucks. Yeah. I don't know if this is the first instance. I don't know if this is the most blatant incident. I don't know if this is the only time that this has ever happened. Okay. Yeah. Then that's not Starbucks. That's not their identity. I would like to think it's not. And I think that their reaction to it is that they, even if it was, they're trying to change that and make it not. But the reality is, if this has happened consistently, this is who you are. Um, yep. we, have to, we have to admit that. And, and supporting both sides of the argument, you have to look at one side and go, okay, well, who has the power? We can't listen to them. You don't get to define who you are. Like, I'm not a jerk. Well, you don't decide that. I mean, you do... But perception plays a big role That's in that exactly as it. well. Yeah. Other people tell you whether or not you're a jerk. Your actions to them define that. But you don't get to say, no, I'm not. No, you don't, you don't, get, to, you don't get to label yourself that way. The that's only way you get works. to label yourself that way is if you surround yourself with people who you know will label you that way. And that's exactly um, But if you're, if you're an organization that's committing to serving people, right? Like if you're committing to serve people in, you know, with coffee or whatever your services are, um, then guess what? Your client base gets to decide who you are. Um, yeah. You might earn a client base based on who you, who you kind of project to be. And, and be intentional uh, but, about trying and that's to why, attract that. That's yeah. why I think I actually like the CEO's response a little bit here because it, it kind of, it, it kind of says, look, um, I, I, I am much more okay with saying this is not who we set out to be. This is who we've become. And we're going to work to change that. Um, I could, I could, 
jump behind that statement almost 100% of the time. Absolutely. This is not this is this is what we've become. We will not let it happen again or whatever. Um and we're going to set out to become who we want to be. I'm fine with that. But you know, I find I I love the listening angle because I I I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but oh no, Ross and Carrie, uh podcast where they go in and um to they they say we we attend all of the all of the the phony presentations so that you don't have to. And it's they go to different like alien invasion seminars or whatever. Um, and they went to a Seventh-day Adventist evangelistic oh series. And they what they do is they um, they they attend these series, they pay their way in, like they 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 and they go earnestly wanting answers. So they don't go in wanting to judge it off the bat. They go in saying, We're gonna attend this, and if it's true, we're gonna buy in. Like, like they 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 the problem is that not a single thing they've gone to is something they could buy in. So they went to a uh, 27 part, 28 part Adventist evangelistic series. It was a traditional <laughs> Daniel and Revelation. Yes. Oh, that's the man, those um, are actually rare now. With amazing facts. It was amazing facts. It was in California, and the speaker was David Stewart. Um, and I have no problem saying any of that on this podcast because, like, it's all over their website. Like, it's this is not a yeah. secret. Well, um, and this isn't a this isn't a slam. This is just yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, they and they they did a five part series where they they broke down every night. They talked about what was said. They talked about the things they liked and the things they didn't like. And near the end, they actually told the leaders like who they were. And David Stewart, the speaker who works for Amazing Facts, who had done this as his career for a number of years, um. He agrees to sit down with them for part six and do an interview on their podcast. So he's actually on their podcast. Like, like at the end, the, the facade is 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 gone away with. And and he's and he actually admits, he says, This is the first time I've ever had the opportunity to sit down and listen to feedback from someone from the outside. And I'm just like, man, Amazing Facts has been doing this for decades. <laughs> um you've been doing this for years. Like, yeah. how is this yeah. the first time that you're sitting down with someone and getting an actual honest review outside of a, like a survey that you hand out? How did you like this? Um, just, just crazy to me to think that like, like we're just not listening. We're not making it a point to listen. We're not making it a point to say, look, how can we serve you better? I was literally just sitting at, um, at lunch with a member recently, a church member. And I asked him, I said, and this is the scariest question I've, I'll ever ask. Um, scariest question I'll ever ask. I, I, I looked at him and I said, Hey, look, how can I be a better pastor for you? I was like, what can I do better? This is your chance. Fire away. Um, what can I do better? How can I do this better for you? How can I serve you better? What would you like to see me do differently? Things like that. Now that didn't mean that didn't give him a blanket opportunity to control what I do, but it gave him an opportunity for feedback and input that was helpful for me. Um, and that's, that's one of the scariest questions because you, it's almost like no feedback is good feedback because people who are content usually don't say anything. It's the people who are angry that do. Not even that, but I can convince myself that something went well. I don't, I'm the worst critic of myself. So I will, I will definitely swing in the, in the line of, Oh, that failed. That was a total fail. That sucked. That totally sucked. Um, that's way more my natural state of mind when I, yeah. when I do something. However, I can convince myself that that went really well. Like, oh, no, that was totally fine to say. I I'd said something the other day, and it's just a, a funny little meme that I've put on for a dozen, you know, a bunch of different times on Twitter. And a buddy of mine texted me up after he said that and go, hey, dude, just know that what you did. I know that 
it's a personal pet peeve of mine. Could you not do that? Because I know it's annoying. And I go, dude, that's a really good point. I'm going to, I'm going to take it down, you know, because I can convince myself that that's okay. But until I actually listen to somebody else and they're like, that's actually not okay. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. That's not okay. But I have to, like I said, I have to be willing to listen to the feedback because if I don't, then I'm just, I'm, it's an echo chamber. All yeah. I'm hearing back is my voice saying, this is fine. This is okay. Like I'm totally okay. And someone else is, and here's the thing is, is normally when someone gives that, it's not taking away something that you enjoy. It's helping you be better. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'm going to enjoy life so much more not offending people. Yeah. Because I want, you know, you know what I mean? Like if I just go around insulting people and burning all those bridges, I'm going to find myself alone in the middle of a burning bridge. And, and the point, you know, no one wants to, well, unless you do, unless you genuinely don't want to be around anybody, at which point you have bigger problems. But that's the point is like, if you, and I kind of go back to like the PC thing, like it's not about being a PC or like following a government mandate it's like no i want to be nice like tell me how to be nice tell me how to do this better like what's amazing facts like how what how do we do this better um i love getting Mm. feedback from myself uh from other people because genuinely they're much nicer to me than (laughs) than i am to myself so they'll be like no that was actually really good i'm like really oh thank god oh but um even more, it's like, how can I improve? How can I get better? Whether that's a sermon, whether that's whatever. Like, I'm, I'm, I want to get better, and the only way I can do that is by listening. And I you know, think that's so important. If if there was any a time that I'm going to get in hot water on this podcast, it's probably what I'm about to say. Yeah, so I'm really excited. Oh, about it. here we go. You know, straight up in the Adventist Church, if we had listened better. Instead of being the, the, the if, if Western Adventism had listened to better, I wonder if women would be allowed to be ordained right now. And here's why I say that. Um, so for my non-Adventist listeners, uh, I'm going to give you a quick history lesson and a quick like kind of lesson on to what Seventh-day Adventism's structure is. But Seventh-day Adventism as a denomination has a very rigidly and clearly defined structure to it. So you've got your local church, then you've got a conference that typically covers a state or a couple states. So like right now, I'm in the Carolina conference that covers both South Carolina and North Carolina. The conference technically owns your church building and and handles your employment. They handle employment of pastors and, and placement of pastors. So I get my paycheck from the Carolina conference. So you get the conference, then you get a union that handles a bunch of conferences. Then you've got a division that usually handles an entire continent's worth of um, of unions. So we're in the North American division. Um, there's the South American division. There's the European division. There, there, I think it's Trans, trans- European. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There, you so, have the East, yeah. East, you have like four and, and you also have areas um, that because they, they don't support enough people, they're kind of lumped in. So you have like two or three, I think in Africa um, yeah. because they just have a lot of people in that area, but not a lot of um like they're really spread out, so you have to kind of, you know. Yeah. So, and then out. above the divisions like are above the divisions is the yeah. general conference, and yeah. yeah, and 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 so the 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 general conference then handles like all your tithe goes all the way up and then sprinkles back down to everybody. That's what happens. So um, we've talked about that in another episode. So this isn't about tithe. I'm just letting you know. So that's the structure. Well, what happened with with Adventism? Adventism started in America. 
right? In, in, in the 1800s, in the late 1800s, around the time of the Civil War, like that's where, where Adventism was. was well, even birthed. a little bit before that. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, before. Roughly, but like yeah. Adventism's structure and everything really started to it start all kind of, yeah, shame. came together in the 1860s. Yeah. So, um, so Adventism starts in the West and then begins to move out. And what happens is as we move out, um, out of America, into Europe, into Africa, into South America, into Central America, into all these different places, um, we start telling people how to live. We start telling people how to be Adventist. Um, You've got a lot of people um, that are convinced that you have to wear a suit and tie to church because the white missionaries that came to their their super hot lands uh, were, you know, super uh, tropical climates were told them, this is the way you have to dress for church. This right? is so how you're respectful yeah. to God. Yeah, this is how this is how you do it. There's no other way to do it. And so you've got people re- putting aside their traditional cultural garb and walking in suits and ties, like um, like those white missionaries told them to. So here's what happened, right? So 2015 comes. We have general conference. We have the the the, the big meeting that we have every five years to handle policy stuff, all this, right? And um, every division sends delegates. And the delegates, there's like 50, what, 1,300 of them? 1,400 of Something them like now? Something like that, yeah, it's quite a bit. Yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch of them. They sit on the floor of this bigger, we a, rent out an arena for hassle, two weeks. as we say in Texas. Yeah. And they, <laughs> they, they vote on church issues. And that is meant to be like kind of, the, whatever is voted is meant to be kind of considered or regarded as the voice of God in our denomination to some extent. I'm not saying like, oh, God literally speaks to that delegation. It's just like, they believe, decide yeah, like we manual changes. The, this yeah, is, yeah, that, like that this we is go him. through. There's a lot of prayer that should go into yeah. it. The in spirit theory. leads, and and so we, yeah, in theory, right? So here's what happens: we've had decades, and we have we've had the entire church's history of Western Adventism telling South America and telling Africa how to be Adventist. We've told them you just need to listen to us and trust us, and this is what you do. So in, in during the days proceedings where they were voting on allowing. Uh, allowing divisions to ordain women independently. Um, they, different people were coming up. It was an open mic. You were allowed to say like, yes or no, why, why you're voting yes, why you're voting no. Um, and Jan Paulson, the previous GC president, he's retired now, steps up and, and urges people to vote yes. And he gets booed. He gets booed by Africa and he gets booed by South America. Uh, 100% booed. I, you could hear it through the live stream that was coming through. Like, um, it was very intense, and there was this moment of like, whoa. And the reason wasn't because people just don't like Ann Paulson. It was because under his leadership, there was a lot of, um, there were a lot of incidents that happened where where the Southern Hemisphere legitimately did not feel listened to and were just kind of told, this is how you should live. This is what you should do. And so there is this there is this spirit of well, I, yeah, and I w- I was on the floor when that happened, so it was it was like an unreal moment. Um, the other thing that he specifically mentioned was, hey, he specifically mentioned Africa and South America yes. because those are the two most opponent, and said we have been respectful to you, you know, and especially regarding things like polygamy and you know cer- certain things that. Uh, cultural differences, please listen to our cultural, you know, and that was yeah. the thing is he, he's saying, it was, this is a cultural thing. We understand that your culture is different than our culture, but in our culture, we're yeah. respecting this. And especially for people like in the trans European division, where 
um, equality is a government mandate. So in order to if, – if they cannot ordain women, they are literally breaking the law. Um, you know, They were saying this is our culture. Please yeah. respect our culture. And because of those incidents that happened, they go that, – that, that's why they reacted so violently. Yeah. You, in you their didn't defense. listen to us, or yeah. your, and this is another example of you telling us what to do. Um, and so um, it, isn't, it doesn't surprise me that the vote then became no, because the Southern Hemisphere, in, as far as delegacy and as far as numbers now, pretty much outnumbers <laughs> Western Adventism as a whole. Like, I think the it, South it American much, division... Like, it's like double. The South American division is on track to have a larger budget than North than the North American division for the first time in Adventism's history by 2020. Like there is a lot more at play because of a history where we told people what to do and did not listen. We did not be, we were not sensitive to their culture or sensitive to what, yeah. what God was calling them to be. Instead, we said, we painted a picture for them and said, you must match this. Um, and, and so I, I do, I genuinely believe if we did a better job, of of in our evangelism a more intentional job to let adventism look like what it needs to look like in different cultures um i think um i do think that women would be allowed to be ordained right now and it's an organizational failure not a spirit not i mean it is a spiritual failure in that regard but i don't you know what i mean like i i, I genuinely think it was a it was an organizational failure there's more at play too yeah um but i i think that's one of the bigger factors uh to be honest because that no vote was is a very clear message to say you don't get to control us anymore. I was surprised how close it was because yeah. out of like 14 or I think it was more actually because there were 977 yes votes and like 13 uh, 1400 No, 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 no. It was it was even closer than that. It was like 1100. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So yeah. so it was almost enough for I think they did do a recount, didn't they? They did a recount. I think they did a recount. Yeah, they did a recount. That's how close it was. Um, so it, it was. It was. Uh, there were a lot. It was a lot closer than I thought it would be. Um, and to be honest, I think. Well, anyway, I won't. I won't get into the politics of that. You have a whole. <laughs> you have a whole episode. The reason why I'm on here is because your episode on that. But you know, I definitely think that that has such a huge play into it because we don't listen. And then beyond even that, we have unfortunately. Uh, several regional conferences in our Adventist church. And I know this is something that people kind of don't understand and it's a complicated thing, but basically um, because of racism in our church, black Adventists had to create their own conference structure mm-hmm. um, because they, they were getting neglected and oppressed and they were basically told you can't come to these places. And that's why Southern uh, Adventist University, our alma mater, our alma mater, um, has such a horrible reputation because for many, many years, it, I mean, it's in Chattanooga. We can pretend it's not the South as much as we want, that it's the New, Th- new South. It's a, and it is. Like, Chattanooga is becoming a much better city. Um, but the reality is that for many, many, many years, it, it, it's it's still in the south, um, and southern treated people of color very badly. I if would like get, to say in the last ten years it's been different. It's gotten better, 
but the reality is like no that that's them that's their identity you see it Same more at southern now you see it more on the uh student to student level yes. like you see it on the individual level a lot more so there's yeah. a lot more microaggressions happening i need a lot more there's not definitely not more but there's there's a lot of them still happening it's, it's that and um, it's it's because you're going to get people and this is the this is the point of college well it's not it's one of the points of college <laughs> is to get <laughs> out of your mindset and begin to think and, and experience other things yeah. um so someone who grew up in a predominantly black neighborhood now, okay, now you have to mingle and be in class with and hang out with, um, at least in a, in a group setting in, in your own you know personal life, you can choose not to, but you have to be around white people or Asians or whatever. Um, someone who grew up in a predominantly Asian, now you have to be around white people and black people and Hispanics, same with that. You know, so it forces you to get out of your comfort zone. And to at least commingle, even in a generalized setting. Um, yeah. And I think you get a much better experience when you take that into your personal life as well. Um, but that's the, the problem is you're going to get people who come with very ignorant, dare I say, stupid views um, and are not going to change that. Yeah, if you it, it, listeners, if you get a chance, head over to thehaystack.tv and go check out a. There's a four part film series called The Wound. The episodes are decently short. Um, like you can you can watch them, and they go into some of the history of of racism and, and Adventism. If you want to know a little bit more, there's a there's a moment where we let a black Adventist woman die on the steps of a hospital uh, because they wouldn't take her in and treat her. Um, and there was a there's a time in Southern's history just within the last fifty years. And I think it was in the sixties, maybe it was the seventies, but I think it was the sixties that the KKK would monitor Southern's campus in Chattanooga, Tennessee, any time that Oakwood University, which is a historic Black Christian university, um, anytime and an, and Oakwood an would, university, yeah, and it's Adventist, yeah. yeah. Anytime Oakwood and Southern would do anything together, and Oakwood would come up to Southern, and like students would visit the campus, the KKK would, was actually known to monitor the campus and make sure that no the students didn't actually like fully intermingle. Like that was that was like a thing that happened within the last fifty years, which yeah. means parents, grandparents, like people alive absolutely were impacted by it. Like, I don't want to say racism is in the past because the people that have dealt with it are still alive. And there are people dealing with it right now who are my age and younger um, that will be alive for the next 40, 50, 60 years. You don't, we don't get to say racism is in the past yet because it's definitely not. Um, And that's where I struggle because I, I want to say that that's not who we are as Adventists, but it's, been who we've it's, been. It's who we. I, I mean, we, it's we who we've want been. to say it all we want. Yeah. I want to say I'm dating a supermodel. <laughs> I can want to say that as much as I. I, yeah, I, I desire. I can say it as much as I want to, but the reality is, I'm. That is not a true statement. That's not a valid statement. Um, my perception of it is incorrect. And, and, and here's the thing: perception is reality, even if it isn't fact or truth. And this is the problem, is that people refuse to, to step outside of their own perception and their own reality and see, okay, is this fact? Is this truth? Yeah. Now, we don't do this within our own church structure. I mean, we could go on and on about, you know, Adventist traditions and why we do things. Um, personally, I'm like, the way we do the way we do communion, as for most part, I'm like, this is, this is, it's too Roman Catholic for me. Like, it's too ritualized for me. Like, yeah. It's meant to be an event. It's meant to be this yeah. thing that we just that we do. It's a meal. 
it's a meal. It's meant to be a meal. And so it's become so highly ritualized, though, that I'm like, I, I, I think it's lost its power. It's lost its meaning. We don't know why we're doing it anymore. In the same way, we don't step out of our racism or our prejudice or our self-perception enough. And when I say yeah. we, I, I do, but I'm intentional about it, but I'm willing to throw myself in there. I don't do this about everything. But, uh, my other degree, I did theology and archaeology at Southern. And for archaeology, because it was near Eastern, I went to Israel on a dig. And I went there with the perception of, okay, I have to be very careful around the Palestinians because I'm an American and we have oppressed their people and supported Israel, who's, you know, and the Israelis are going to be great because we're their allies and we love them. I could not have been more wrong. The Palestinian culture is a culture of hospitality. They were so excited I was there. And granted, this is also a tourist trap, so, you know, they want your money. But they, they're all about being hospitable. I was treated like family or royalty or like, like a, a – like mm. it was such a blessing to them that I was there by everyone. Um, every Palestinian I met, I did not have one negative experience. The wow. majority of the Israelis that I met not only treated me with derision but like – if I paid for something, it was like, ugh, I guess I'll take your money. Can you leave already? Like, it was this sense of because their culture is one of suspicion, uh, and for good reason. I mean, they've been attacked, like, every 20 seconds. Um, but but that's their whole thing is outsiders not good. Like, oh, you, your people, you know, you're, you're a white American. Yeah. Hmm, how come you didn't let us in, you know, when the Germans were killing us? That kind of a thing. Um, oh, you're such an arrogant American. Oh, yeah was not true with hospitality. And this was not everyone. I, I did have positive experiences with quite a few uh, Israelis. But um, ironically, most of those were outsiders who had performed the Aliyah. The native-born ones really didn't want me there. They didn't want us there. They were like, we're going to allow you to kind of come visit um, for the most part. And again, this is not everyone. But the point is not to nail Israelis or to, to blow up or to, to, to you know praise Palestinians. The point was I was so wrong. Someone who is woke, who considers himself to be woke, someone who who has his pulse on on prejudice and racism, someone who is is intentional about being self-aware about this and, and trying to match up with other cultures and to say, hey, how can I how can I integrate myself into black culture? How can I integrate myself into Hispanic culture? How can I integrate myself mm-hmm. into Asian culture so that I can serve and 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 um, better know my brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ? I still had that prejudice in my heart. Someone who comes from an oppressed people, you know, uh, my Puerto Rican heritage, you know, as horrible as the, the, the black slavery was, the Puerto Rican people have been wiped out. There are no more native islanders. That's a genocide. And so it's, it's horrible. It's terrible. I understand it. I have history of that i feel the history of my people and yet for me to come from something like that and to still have that prejudice in my heart made me realize i need to take a deep hard look at myself and still say what else am i holding what else let me step back and constantly do that and never not stop doing that because because even if it just validates what i already thought or believed 
let me step out and be like, is this actually how it is? Am I actually projecting myself this way? Am I actually coming across this way? You know, am I, you know, do I sound arrogant or do I sound ignorant or is this, is this something that was taught to me that isn't accurate? Am I putting on deodorant the wrong way? You know, these are the things that you have to ask yourself in order to say, this is how I'm going to become a better person. This is how I'm going to become a more Mm -hmm. mature person. And, and beyond even that as Christians, this is how I can serve better. Yeah. This is how we become more like God. For for a church that wants to be more like God, we do a very good job of not being like Him. <laughs> we, well, I, we we stop eating meats really well, and we wear the right clothes to church, and we do all these things, but we don't understand the heart of God very well. I mean, I don't stop eating meat very well. I tend to. Like, I have not either. I <laughs> uh, God has not convicted me on that yet. Yeah. Um. But what I'll say, look, what I'll say is this. Um. Two things. A, if you want to learn more about the history of racism in the Adventist church, I have two episodes, one that dives into regional conferences, the other that dives into racism in general. Both very good. Um, uh, they're episode 18 with Evan Willis, Regional Conferences, Racism, and Friendship with Evan Willis. You can listen to that. It was January 15, 2018. And then uh, back when I was consider- convinced I was going to be doing this in seasons, uh, season two, episode four, it was posted December 6th. It's Becoming a Learner with Garrison Hayes. Both of those are great episodes if you want to learn more about the history of Adventist uh, racism and Adventism. And what I want to say here is this, because I am Adventist, and, and, and it's really easy when you hear stuff like this to think that we're just criticizing and we don't like it, we don't like the Adventist church, whatever. That's not true. We love the Adventist church. That's why we're here. That's why we take a paycheck from them, like, like because we love this organization and we love um, what this organization is, is doing. Absolutely. So what I want to say is this, and, and this is what's important, right? Um, I think an organization becomes racist, like is racist when um, their their purpose um, their purpose is racist. Um, what I will say is, um, I think your identity is made up in different parts, right? So, like, um, I think there are different parts of your identity that you are, that you can figure out, mm. that you can yeah. identify, and then you say, "Look, I don't want that to be a part of my identity anymore." What we're not saying on this episode is that Adventism is racist. There are certainly people that hold that view. Um, what we are saying is that racism has taken up a too big of a part of Adventism's identity, and it's time that we get rid of that part of our identity. So, like, because you know, Adventism as well, we are Sabbath keeping. We um, we uh, worship Jesus, and we look. I mean, Seventh Day Adventist literally means we worship on the seventh day, and we look forward to Jesus's advent or Jesus's second coming. So, like, we are Seventh Day worshiping. Bible-believing Christians who are looking forward to Jesus' second coming, right? So, like, we love Adventism, and we're not speaking out against it, trying to call for someone's head or anything like that. It's just, it's time to acknowledge that racism has been a part of Adventism's identity. And we need to be intentional about making that change. You know, it's so huge because it's not going to go away by itself. There's another podcast that we listen to, Stuff Adventists Should Know, by Nick Hostet, who's Fantastic. a friend of this podcast. Yeah. Uh, one day, if you want to, if you want to write into him and tell him to be on Absurdity, we would love it. Um, if you want to like review his podcast, just be like, you should be on Absurdity. This other podcast, we're trying to convince him to get on, uh, to come on. But he did an episode just recently uh, with six guys. Uh, Garrison Hayes was one of them, or Ty Gibson, 
um, Michael Nix or Michael Polite and Michael Nixon as well. And they talked about the history of racism in the Adventist church. And and, and, the, and, and these are guys, um, by the way, who are up here at the seminary that are very they're not quite experts necessarily. I th- Michael Nixon is, but they are heavily involved and and very well informed about it. So this yeah. is as close to experts in the Adventist church as you're going to get. So it's not just he pulled random people. Like yeah, these Michael are, Polite is one yeah. of the, the chaplains at Andrews. Michael Nixon is the VP for diversity and inclusion at Andrews. Um, like this, is, it's not, and, and Ty Gibson has done a lot of work in reconciliation and um, does a lot of ministry work outside of that. So like, um, but they talk about how um, Advent, one of Adventist, one of Adventism's prophetic calls, because it was formed kind of during the time of the Civil War, um, was a prophetic call of unity. Yep. Was a prophetic call of we want to work together and we value yes. people. And somewhere along the line, we lost that and we allowed racism instead of instead of calling culture to accountability, we became like culture. Um, and so now it's time to hold ourselves accountable to that and, and to look at it, to say, look, yeah, this is th- that may not be the totality of who we are, but it's certainly a part of who we are, and that needs to be fixed. Um, so that's, you know, I if it's a storied part of your history, saying this is not who we are, it just doesn't cut it. But saying this is not who we want to be does. <laughs> uh, that's exactly it. That's exactly like, it. This is not who we want to be. But at some point you have to realize, like, yeah, I've allowed this to take up too much of my life for too long in an organizational sense or in an individual sense even. Man, like just the other night I was walking my dog in my apartment complex and I've shared stories like this before. And for as much as I talk about racism on the podcast, for as much as I talk about it in my churches or whatever and denounce it, like there was a there was a black guy walking 10, 15 feet behind me and I had to resist actively every single urge to not turn around and like make sure that my back was okay. The entire time, it was, it was like 11 o'clock at night. And I don't know if I would have done that for anyone, but I had to actively resist the urge to keep like looking behind me and checking my own back. And I'm like, why is it? And the whole time I'm arguing myself, like, why do I even feel this compulsion? Like, this is so dumb. Um, or when I was at Southern, um, when I was at Southern a few weeks ago for Deep Sabbath, which Deep Sabbath is when Oakwood brings up some students to Southern or Southern brings students to Oakwood and they have a joint worship service together. Right, which is uh, one of the went, best. Word. I, I personally, yeah, I, loved I love it, it when they came up. Yeah, love it. So we're we're sitting in the church, and uh, I'm you know in my churches we're usually done by like noon, uh, which is not the case uh, when you do a joint worship service like this. Uh, and church went until like one thirty, and I had to pee, and I was sitting right up near the front. I was sitting like four rows up from the front of this huge church that seats like over a thousand people. And um, I'm like, and and I had already seen on Twitter because every time there's anything that happens, there's always this like underground conversation happening on Twitter at the same time an event is happening on the, on the top level, right? And on Twitter, I had already seen someone say, "I just saw some white people walk out of the church covering their ears uh, because there were drums, and it was like the first time in in the university church's history that there really had been. It wasn't the first time, but I know it was a significant moment. It's, it's a big, um, yeah, it's a big moment. Yeah, a full drum set. So and, and on Twitter, I'd already seen people calling out white people for leaving with their ears, with their ears covered. And I was like, man, I have to pee, but I'm in the front, and I don't want it to look like I'm another white person just leaving. Even though I'd be back once you leave, perception is reality, right? So once you leave, um, I didn't want it. I didn't want it. I didn't want to become another tweet. I didn't want it. I didn't want to be perceived as um, as I don't want to hear this message about the importance of unity and breaking down walls and understanding that. Um, that there's a place for everyone in the, in the gospel. Like I didn't want to even be perceived that way. So I sat there 
And I was like squirming in my seat for an extra hour and a half. We got done, I think, at one thirty or one forty-five. Um, but there are just moments like that where I'm like, I'm as much as I, I talk about rate, like it takes intentionality. Yeah. It takes constant yeah. fighting with yourself and arguing with yourself to to get to to break some of the parts of your identity that have been there so long, time in erodes awareness of that you're not even aware they're there. You're not even aware of why they're there, but you re- you recognize that they're there and you recognize there's something to be done about it. And I think what's awesome for Christians especially is that we can then, you know, pray the prayer that, that David and John and, and all these amazing people like, search me, go through me, mm. God. Like if I'm, if I'm lacking awareness in this area, reveal to me the things that I need to change. Um, because <clears throat> God doesn't want that to, for us either. He doesn't want us to have those things. He wants us to be free from that. Um, Jesus died so we could have freedom from that. I truly believe that that's, that's one of the reasons why he died is so that we could have freedom from these terrible, horrible things. And so he's going to make you aware of them. He's going to bring them up. And that's a painful experience when he does do that, by the way, because now you have to confront this new reality of, Oh, okay. I guess I hate cats. I have to work on this. (laughs) Um, Yeah. You know, or whatever, but that's the reality is like, Oh shoot. Okay. All right, I I guess we're doing it. And usually it's an embarrassing experience. Usually it's something where it's it's somebody calls you out on it and you're like, crud, I, I didn't think this was me. But that's the point, is you have to be willing to say, not only is this me, but this is not who I want to be. Yeah. And you have absolutely. to say, This is this is not from the heart of God. So I'm going to yeah. change this. I'm going to step out of something that I have been taught. Or I have thought my entire life to be okay and to say, no, this is now not okay. And, you know, just like, again, like it's a a, a little thing on Twitter, like for me, you know, personal example, just a little thing on that that wasn't necessarily offensive, but it it just, it really bugged somebody and really, well, it did hurt them. It offended them. It hurt them. And to say, you know what, I'm going to stop doing that because I don't want to hurt people. If that's the heart that you want to have then God's going to give you that and you're going to be able to have that and it's going to be something beautiful and awesome. Yeah. The root of not wanting to adjust the way you behave to make other people like more comfortable. I can I I get and there are times where I'm frustrated too and I like don't want to change and I'm like why are they so offended? They're too easily offended. And to some extent I do think sometimes people are too easily offended. But like the the root belief in that in saying like I don't need to change my behavior, they're the problem. That's the root belief is they that you're you're believing there's nothing wrong with me. There's something wrong with them. Yeah. Um, I'm fine. I'm doing it right. They're the ones doing it wrong. Um, and I think every time that we look at any sort of criticism or problem, we should the first person we should look at is ourselves, um, not them. I, I love this. I'm going to share this on a religious podcast. Um, <laughs> it's a quote by Carl Sagan, of all people. I found it last night as I was doing some prep for this episode, and I loved it. But Carl Sagan says, Who are we if not measured by our impact on others? That's who we are. We're not who we say we are. We're not who we want to be. We are the sum of the influence and impact that we have in our lives on others. Um, I just love that. I just think that's a great quote. I, 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 um, I think that goes I, super well. And I think that's as Christian as it comes. No, seriously, too. because that's look at how <laughs> John the Baptist asked Jesus, "Look, are you the Messiah? Should we wait for someone else?" Jesus doesn't respond with a the theological treatise. He responds back with. Tell him the blind see, the lame walk, 
the poor have the gospel preached to them. He hands him, in essence, his resume and says, look at my body of work and tell me, is this enough to comfort you? And John's like, okay, yep, that was it. That was the one. Because Jesus doesn't have to sit there and go like, well, I was born from this. I did this. Um, I, I was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And everything. He goes, look at what I'm doing. And John's like, that's exactly what the Messiah would do. Mm. Your influence on people proves you are the yeah. one. Um, not the fact that you claim divinity. Yep. And this is, you know, when people when people want to knock Christianity and say, well, how Jesus, how is he different than anyone else? I go, because of the effect he had on people. Because of what he did. Because he did preach the gospel to the poor. Because he did intentionally break social constructs and barriers. Um and yeah. reveal to people the the hardness in their hearts and and show to them that God's love can not only change them, but can also change their perception of other people and other people's perceptions of them. Jo- Peter and John show up to the to this to the Pharisees in Acts. And I usually don't quote this much, but this is just such a great point. The Pharisees look at them, realize that they are untrained, and go, These guys must have been with Jesus because this cannot come from them. When a good old boy from the South can go and preach in a black church and say, I love you guys. You are my family. I am here to, to reconcile. That comes from Jesus. That is not something that they are born with. That yeah. is not something that is natural in the world. That is when that is Jesus changing a life and vice versa. When someone who is oppressed can come to the oppressor and say, I'm, I'm here to love you and serve you in a loving way, that is also from Jesus. It's not a human yeah. thing. And that's, and that's what I desire for our church is for people to look at us and say, this is, a, this is a place where God dwells because of how they treat the people around them. Yeah. I thank you for that. I think that was a great way to kind of cap this one off. Um, and, you know, just Tony and I are not the head. experts. We're not the authority. The we're just two guys. We're just two. No, we're just two guys talking. Like I get that, that we're pastors and we're in ministry. We're two guys talking. Like you're hearing our opinions. So don't take our opinions as a hundred percent fact, um, unless it is a hundred percent fact that we're spewing. You know, like Carl Sagan's quote is everything not I say is a hundred percent fact. Was a, Becker, it's a quote that he said. Yeah. No. Um, but just know, like, it's two guys Absolutely. talking. So if you want to get mad at us, that's please. fine. Please do. I'd love it. Disagree with um, us. Please. But thank you guys so much for... Critique us. Yeah. Um, but thank you guys so much for listening. Um, we'll be back next week, but we just want to let you know you can subscribe iTunes, Stitcher, everywhere. You can find our website, theabsurdity.org. Um, and you can listen there as well. And we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast. Um, we are working on some Patreon exclusive content that's coming out soon. Um, but if you want to support this, uh, this whole thing financially, uh, just go create a, an account on Patreon and, and throw us a dollar a month. Throw us, you know, that's a dollar for four hours of content per month, like guaranteed. That's, that's super good. Um, I support like three or four other, five other Patreon, uh, or content creators through Patreon. Um, so I know it well every month I'm donating at least $10 across various platforms. So just, um, consider it. It would really help us a lot. Um, and, uh, we really would appreciate anything that helps us out. Um, also if you subscribe on iTunes, leave a review that also helps us. And if you have any comments, questions, or feedback for the show, you can email me Ryan one eight zero Becker at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter 
at Ryan one eight zero Becker or at Tony. What is what is your Twitter, what is your uh, Twitter, Tony? Tony underscore Anobly, A N O B I L E, or you can just look up the new Doctor Jones, the new D R Jones. And all those links are down in the show notes. So thank you guys so much for listening, and we will see you next week. Today's episode of Absurdity is sponsored by The Haystack. The Haystack is a voice for young adults in the Seventh-day Adventist Church that produces articles, music reviews, videos, and more. To check them out, go to www.thehaystack.org. The Haystack. Life. Culture. Theology.